What up, family? Welcome to episode 122 of The Genius Life. What's going on, everybody? Welcome to another episode of the show. I'm your host, Max Lugavira, filmmaker, health and science journalist, and the author of the New York Times bestselling book, Genius Foods and the Genius Life. On this episode of the show, I'm super excited to welcome back my dear friend, Aaron Alexander. I'm sure many of you guys are fans of Aaron's. He is the man behind uh, the Instagram handle, Align podcast. Uh, He's the host of the Align podcast, and he's also the author of the Align Method, all about how to get your life in alignment. And it starts with the body. Aaron is a functional movement coach. He's worked with many, many well-known people in the entertainment industry, professional athletes. Um, Whenever I see him out and about, he's always uh, shirtless, shoeless. He really practices what he preaches, and um, I'm excited to welcome him, welcome him back. And this episode of the show is actually quite special because this is the first episode of the show that I taped in my brand new uh, podcast studio for the Genius Life. So you can watch the entirety of this interview on my YouTube channel at YouTube.com/slash Max Lugavere. Uh, Aaron is a Great guy. He's like an Adonis. So I don't know, ladies, fellas, uh, check it out. And um, I guarantee you that Aaron's going to have you swooning over both his physicality and his knowledge uh, when you watch the YouTube of us hanging out. YouTube.com slash Max Lugavere. Over the course of this next hour, we discuss a number of different things. It's a very free flowing conversation. Um, We talk about how to find your passion. We talk about uh, ways of boosting neurological health with... uh, various different types of experiences. Um, We talk about how Aaron has been exercising during these uh, interesting, interesting times without access to a gym. I share a story, um, a a story that uh, when I listened back to it was very um, personal about something I experienced recently in New York uh, in regards to my mother, who many of you are familiar with that story. and so, yeah, this was a, a really wonderful chat. I love Aaron. He's the man, and I'm excited for you to listen to it. This episode is sponsored by my good friends at Perfect Keto. Perfect Keto make a line of great products to help you on your ketogenic journey. The ketogenic diet is, uh, you know, admittedly, I talk about it quite a bit. It's not a uh, an effortless diet it is a diet that can be pretty tricky to adhere to. And so I'm glad that there's there are companies like Perfect Keto making tools that can help you uh, stay on track. They make a number of different drink mixes that all incorporate uh, medium chain triglycerides, which can boost ketone levels uh, in the blood. There are a certain type of fat that provide that provides instant energy to the brain. They also make probably my favorite keto approved uh, cookies that like I've ever had. They're so good. They come in chocolate chip flavor and they come in peanut butter flavor and they have zero sugar. Um, they won't spike your blood sugar and they're shelf stable. So you can keep them in the cupboard and take them out for a snack whenever you want. They're so good. Keto, I mean, keto cookies, uh, that you don't feel guilty about eating. 
They also make protein bars that I know that they've worked tirelessly to make sure that they don't make your blood sugar budge. Um, So whether you are on a ketogenic journey, whether you are on a low carb journey or just a sugar free journey, check out perfectketo.com slash genius and use promo code genius. And if you buy one product, you'll get the second product at 40% off plus free shipping. Um, So that is perfectketo.com slash genius, promo code genius, buy one product, get the second product at 40% off plus free shipping. Perfect keto, they're great. This episode is also sponsored by Paleo Valley. I am so psyched to welcome Paleo Valley to the Genius Life family. They make beef sticks that are so tasty. I've had a number of different beef sticks. Um, They're sort of like, you know, kind of beef jerky-esque. And oftentimes they can be too greasy or they're not necessarily balanced in their flavor profile. You know, you want them to have a little bit of that like vinegary fermented tang. Paleo Valley, I'm not kidding you guys, make the best beef stick I've ever had. And they come in a variety of different flavors. They have uh, teriyaki beef sticks, They have jalapeno beef sticks. They have their original beef sticks. Um, They are so delicious. I was on a road trip recently and I packed my bag. I took about a dozen of them with me and uh, they didn't last very long. I'll just uh, tell you that. They are so tasty. And if you're looking for a super low carb, high protein, sugar-free snack, um, check out Paleo Valley. Obviously, all of their uh, products are 100% grass-fed, grass-finished. So I can't praise them enough. Check them out, paleovalley.com slash max for 15% off of your entire order. Paleovalley.com slash max. You'll get 15% off of your entire order. Um, Yeah, their stuff is so good. Naturally fermented, 100% grass fed. Love it. All right, y'all, we're just seconds away from my chat with Mr. Aaron Alexander, movement coach to the stars. If you have any sort of back pain, existential pain, Aaron is a guy who has answers. He's a very articulate, well-spoken dude, and I really enjoyed chatting with him. Um, So, uh can't wait for you to listen to this chat. Before we get to that, I want to just send a message of thanks over to iTunes user Sun Signs Lou, who left this wonderful review for the show on iTunes. Sun Signs Lou wrote, Max, awakened because of you. So appreciate all that Max puts out into the world because of his passion and vigor to empower ourselves with bettering ourselves. From his books to his podcast, he shines. Thank you, Max. Well, thank you, Sun Signs Lou. I am so glad that you're enjoying the podcast. I've got a number of really wonderful episodes in store. I'm so pumped. Uh, Every episode I feel like just gets better and better and better. And I've got so many great things in store for you guys. So thank you so much for listening and staying subscribed to the show. I put out new episodes every single Wednesday. Um, And again, now I'm starting to put up uh, every episode uh, as video on my YouTube channel. So Make sure that you're subscribed to youtube.com slash Max Lugavere. And yeah, just stay tuned. So many, so many good episodes coming about just a myriad of different topics. Join my text message community by texting Genius to 310-299-9401. Join my newsletter at maxlugavere.com. Uh, follow me on Instagram at Max Lugavere. All that stuff. Just would love to connect with you in all the places. And now, without further ado, please welcome my good friend, Mr. Aaron Alexander, author of The Align Method, host of The Align Podcast, and just overall solid dude. I wanted to talk about, we were, we were, we were hiking, we were out at, at uh, where did we go? The old MASH site, nearby outside LA, yeah. whatever that's called, Malibu Canyon Trail. And one of the things we were talking about was the, what was the, the lead female actor's name in Gone in the Wind? Was it Anne Lee? 
Ooh, gone with I don't know. Ann Lee. I should know this. I majored in film. Max, we need we need you. Anyway, mm. so the so the so the the uh, leading actress, her name I'm pretty sure is Ann Lee. That's spelled like L E I G H. She died of tuberculosis when mm. she was 53. No big deal. Um, and one of the things we were talking about with that was her. This is a complete. One tangent going uh, out of how you felt with that. Um, what is your name, Max? Vivian Lee. Vivian Lee. Vivian Vivian Lee. Lee. By the way, for listeners, our producer's name is also Max. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> We've got to come yeah, up with a exactly, nickname yeah, for him. Exactly. Tweet me. Oh, right. Yeah. <laughs> tweet, me, tweet me your suggested nickname for right. our producer, So Max. complete 180 just to get off of sensations with, with, with books. Because um, I had an agenda of wanting to talk about this Vivian Lee character. Um, when she was being... Uh, born when she was in her mother in the womb, uh, the father, her father, would intentionally. You remember this, obviously. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So her father apparently would intentionally take the mother to all of these various different beautiful destinations, and the intention was she essentially wanted to mold Vivian Lee uh, through the eyes of her mother. Wow, this is pretty interesting. Super interesting. And that- so. I wonder how that because we were the, when we were walking, we're like, we're going to talk about that. How did that? How did that hit you? The idea that you could actually mold a child through the eyes of the mother and the experiences of the mother. Very uh, super interesting, beautiful concept. Um, I mean, I feel like I when you know when I hear things like that, I start to think about like the like the mechanisms, you know, like the, the scientific like mechanisms by which that might actually do something to the fetus. But I feel like you think about something like that on a more like philosophical. Well, like just l- both in general, all yeah. of it. You know, there's, there's so much, I mean, there's a lot to it. There's all sorts of, you've heard of the different research around, um, rats being able to, uh, detect or be able to, to have the memory of their, uh, rat parents who went through like shock therapy, essentially, well, they would expose these rats to this chemical smell, uh, this very odorous smell, like very obvious, like, oh, there's that, that chemical. Uh, and then they would shock the rats. And then uh, what they found with the, the offspring of those rats, when they would expose them to that smell, they would end up having this cortisol response and kind of go into this fear contraction, like, oh, shit, there's a shot coming. Wow, like an inherited fear. Uh-huh. And so it's an interesting thing of thinking, like, like I've been thinking about this recently, of uh, what is the separation between us and our parents and our grandparents and, you know, on, onward all the way back through the, through the, the yeah. hierarchy? Um, I think it's way less than what we would suspect. Like, I don't know that there's a clear distinction between my mother, my father, me, and then I don't think there's a clear distinction between my parents and their grandparents. Thus, there's no clear distinction between me and my grandparents, and there's no clear distinction between me and anything, really. Yeah. It's super interesting. Like, if you can inherit fear, why couldn't you inherit, like, an appreciation for aesthetic, you know, um, what's the word? Uh, I'm just totally blanking on the word, but like, yeah, symmetry, like an aesthetic, like, you know, inherent an aesthetic appreciation. Yeah. And the, and the mother, as she's going through, um, it's a really big deal that a, a, a mother is experiencing, she's essentially feeding 
the child in the womb, hmm. the various different chemicals and neurochemistry and all the hormones and such that would be released in her body through her yeah. experience in life. She's saturating that child that's pouring right into that child and that child's experiencing life as the mother does. You know, so if they go through something that's incredibly stressful, um, you know, there's been all sorts of instances of this with like war times and there was like the Dutch hunger winters that affected babies' metabolisms. Um, they, but with this, the stress specifically, uh, children that will be, um, saturated in that, that stress while they're in the womb, um, they'll end up creating somewhat of like a, a tolerance to, to cortisol, to wow. stress hormones. And so then they come out and they have this, this higher threshold for it. So thus their body needs to produce more of it. Wow. You know, and so it's uh, it's kind of like a like insulin resistance, but with stress. It's amazing. Well, we know that we know that like the environment can cause epigenetic changes that then get passed on yeah. to our offspring, and we know that um, that experiencing. I mean, we were talking about this too on the hike. The you know Andrew Huberman, PhD, who's done some research in his lab, suggesting that just broadening out your gaze to a peripheral, mm-hmm. you know, uh, sort of panoramic gaze. Yeah can actually reduce the stress response in the body, reduce, you know, cortisol, things like that. We know how amazing, you know, being out in nature is for your body on a biochemical level. Yeah. So, I mean, I have no doubt that that would actually have like a, it sounds like that would would have a pretty meaningful impact. If that's what you're doing routinely, you know, you're like, you're, if you're pregnant, you're going out, spending more time outdoors. Yeah. So think of that. So, so that's, I have a whole chapter in the, in the book that was all reviewed from, Huberman. Huberman's a, a close buddy. Um, and he was gracious enough to go through and essentially like edit all my mistakes. Hmm. So thank you to, to Lord, <laughs> Lord Huberman. Um, but in that, you know, thinking of that Vivian Lee, uh, her mother going out in the world, uh, apply that next layer of, okay, our vision affects our hormones, affects our neurochemistry, affects our levels of stress. Uh, if she's out in the mountains hiking through the prairies and looking up at the clouds and kind of taking it all in, that's literally tuning her nervous system to calm the freak down, you know, as opposed to maybe a mother that is, you know, stressed out with work and is, you know, still chugging along on the computer and staring at screens and inside of this room underneath these artificially blue lit lights all day long and, you know, not able to get enough movement and walking and not get circulation to be able to pump out all those old stress hormones, all that stuff that's been produced from that environment. Yeah. And then they bring a child into that situation, um, you know, and it's like, it's, it's, it doesn't seem like a coincidence that uh, statistically there's so many people that are utilizing some type of pharmaceutical medication for anti-anxiety medication or antidepressants and all of that stuff in a, a structural mold that is inherently stressful. Hmm. You know, so from the drop, a child coming out into that system and then imagine being a baby and coming out into this sterile environment now probably even more sterile than ever before you know and the blue lights in your eyes and some doctor with these gloves and you know and then they don't actually spank you right what, what was that all about i don't know <laughs> what do that i've always thought yeah when you come out they, they do that i don't know i don't know enough i'm not a father how have you been managing? <laughs> how have you been managing your stress during during these times? Because the last time we got together to record this felt like forever ago. It was yeah. like it was a couple months before coronavirus, BLM, and I know that you're a really sensitive guy. So like, I'm a cancer. 
You're a cancer. What is that? What is that? Uh, <laughs> I don't know. Huh. Um, the only thing that I know about astrology is that whenever I tell a female that I'm Gemini, I always get yeah. like a groan. Oh. Yeah. Ge- Geminis are apparently not high on the dating. There's probably a lot of people listening just nodding their head like, oh. <laughs> I don't know anything about astrology. I'm on, I have the, <laughs> I have the apps and I find them to be pretty funny, but then I, I always intentionally will go and read other star signs to, to just to validate my sense that it's all kind of BS, mm. but it's a pretty sweet move. If you learn about a girl's astrological sign, hmm. I've never done it, but I would imagine, yeah, you know, you come back and you have all the information. That's true. I did it with one girl. Yeah. She was a Leo. Huh? Yeah. Her name's Tiffany. So you learned everything you could about the Leo. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. I went deep on Leo. Wow. I literally only know about Leo and cancer. Hmm. Yeah. Well, I'm a Gemini. Oh, okay. Um, Maybe I should go deep on Gemini to impress you. It's the, we're known for having, for being like two-faced or having, uh, being being like, I guess what would be relevant to like the relationship is that your Geminis are thought to be like hot and cold. Like, you know, the Katy Perry song, like you're hot and you're cool. It's like bipolar. Yeah. Some, somewhat Mm -hmm. that's like, which I don't think I am, but no, I don't know. No, you're a little bit of a, of a, what is that called? You're, you're, you're. Overcorrecting our producer, <laughs> micromanager, a little micromanager. Yeah, <laughs> I bet I can micromanage a little bit. I can micromanage. I don't know if that's necessarily a trait of the Gemini, but we need to get back to this Vivian, Vivian, and story. Yeah, was there more to the story? No, I don't think so. Um, but I know, but I want to know how you've been able to manage your stress during these times because I feel like that's I've something been doing all the things, all the things I talk about. Like what? Uh, it's that's that is an interesting thing. So like I have experienced many a moments of of um, my big thing is that I more regularly experience is more of like a general sensation of apathy of just like I don't I don't really give a fuck. Hmm. Like what's what is the point of any of this? Why am I here? What are we doing? Um, you know what's the point of like trying so hard for what? Like where are we going? You know, it's false summit after false summit after false summit. It's like, what's what's the point of continuing to like walk these summits? Not that I'm having any kind of like suicidal ideation or anything. That was something I experienced as like a teenager for a bit, which is interesting. Um, Are you a nihilist? I, sometimes I'll like creep into the nihilistic waters and then I'll, you know, go play paddle tennis with some friends and, hmm. you know, feel all optimistic again. Hmm. Um, but the things that I find within that uh is literally just coming back to i think there's a few things one i think like stillness and silence and introspection and getting out of the way of the minutiae of your thoughts is immensely valuable um you know so the the a common tendency for me is to lean uh on these various different crutches of sorts in the form of like doing healthy shit you know taking a walk, looking out into the distance, looking up into the clouds, doing exercise, um, you know, meditation. Well, meditation is, I think, one of those ones that I think is kind of like, can go even go deeper, you know, like walking the stuff out is great because you're literally kind of walking that static energy out of your body. You're dancing it out or running it out or boxing it out or whatever it may be. Uh, But I think there's another layer of value to just sitting in stillness with your stuff, whatever it may be, uh, and kind of allowing it to almost like walk itself out in a way. Uh, you know, and so that's something that I've been finding immensely valuable is like essentially just doing both, exercising both sides of the spectrum. You know, so doing all the active things, um, getting together with community is like a lifesaver for me. The times that I do, I mean, I'll feel 
some degree of apathy almost every day. There'd be like at some point throughout the day where I'm just like, I don't think I give a shit. Okay, this is uncomfortable. Um, and then I will uh, call you or call a girl or call, you know, a friend or whatever. And say like, you want to go surfing? You want to go for a hike and just like, you know, whatever. Let's just do anything. And then I go out and whoa, like <laughs> everything changes. Um, you know, so for me, it's kind of this in and out. But I think there is a like a, a, a deeper realm of a stronger foundation of sorts uh, if you allow yourself to actually um, go through that static just in in silence and actually sitting with it. You know, so meditation has become something that's been uh, more potent for me recently. Hmm. What do your workouts look like these days? Well, I trained before I came over here. Uh, a lot of kettlebell stuff and a lot of like gymnastic meets kettlebell meets calisthenics hmm. and then it's like acro yoga and then I, I i think it's really important for a person to be highly adaptable and so uh, i think there's there's baseline mechanical principles that a person ought to be able to, to sort out in their body so having basic fundamental mechanics of their hips you know understanding okay i need to be able to hinge my hips back and be able to create leverage from there be able to activate my glutes and be able to have that whole sequence of muscles fire in such a way that i'm going to be able to get that optimal power output out of my body, um, you know, neutral spinal mechanics, being able to get my arms up over my head without just flaring my ribs. Um, and these are all principles that we, we break down in the book. And that was kind of the intention of writing the book was to create a succinct user's manual on how to effectively inhabit your body, essentially. Hmm. So we don't get those basic principles in phys ed. Phys ed, you're like hucking balls at each other. And, you know, you got to remember your gym shorts, essentially, is like, you know, there's, I think we could go a bit deeper into the actual education part of, of, of physicality, you know, so those basic, uh, fundamentals, those baselines, I try to integrate most of those into each movement practice or workout. And then beyond that, I think it's super valuable to like play sports, you know, or like wrestle or, hmm. you know, just be silly, you know, do anything that makes you uncomfortable. Um, I think is a really great opportunity. I was thinking this in the relation to, I, yesterday was my birthday. So I was like trying to think of something, you know, profound to write on an Instagram post or whatever, which sounds, sounds cheesy. <laughs> uh, you know, but that was, that was one of the things that came up was like, if something is in relationships, uh, with yourself, with others, whatever it may be the world, um, if something is challenging to love, then it's probably an indication that there's work there for you. Hmm. You know, so it's like, like the harder something is to love, it's like, well, there's, there's probably like lessons here. There's probably something, this is probably exactly where you need to be, you know? So it's a similar sensation from a movement perspective. If there's something like this just sucks, you know, when you go into those situations where your, your arms move funny and your hips aren't doing the right thing and all that stuff, your brain is going over time. So from a, a neuroplasticity level, you're like firing neurons way, way more than you would be if you were just honing in on some golf swing that you've already done 10,000 times. So from a neurological perspective, which, which you and your listeners are interested in, um, that's going to be some of the, uh, the best territories that you can exist in. Um, if one of your interests is, uh, neurological development is actually putting yourself in physical situations that are, uh, demanding in the sense from a perspective of like, I just don't know how to do this and I need to figure this out. Um, but most of us 
typically tend to occupy places that we already know and understand. Hmm. And you're kind of just going through the reps and, and honing in. My preference is to, with regularity, put myself in situations that I feel like a total buffoon. <laughs> when was, so when was the last time you did that? Oh man, dancing. Dancing. Yeah, I danced with a lady a couple of days ago on uh, on PCH, Pacific Coast Highway. And all the cops were like pushing us off, pushing us away or whatever. So we went from like beach to beach to beach. And the cops came out like, you have to leave. Oh, because you weren't allowed to be on the beach, right? Yeah, 4th of July weekend huh. in Los Angeles. Yeah. Um, but I feel like you move like a dancer. You're telling me you don't, you don't normally dance? Well, there's a little bit of pressure of feeling like I'm like, that I move like a dancer. Huh. <laughs> and so I'm like, okay, I want to be able to like, you know, really do it. And so partner dance stuff. I've done like, I did like a bachata competition thing huh. where I like learned specific dance steps to a specific song with a specific partner. And in that I could pose as I actually like know how to do some bachata. Um, but I don't actually know how to do the damn dance. Hmm. Um, you know, so that would be an instance where it's just like figuring out that choreography with another person. Uh, so you're, there's a lot of different levels to that, you know, so there's the intimacy with the person. Um, there's the, if there's music, you're, you're, um, attuning yourself to that music to be able to move on the beat. Um, and then there's also the coordination of my hands and my feet and my breathing pattern. You know, it's like this whole complex orchestra that when you do bring it together and you find that alignment with all of those variables, um, it's like a, you know, it's like a mental mind, body, spirit, yeah, neuron, superfood, everything. Getting out everything. of your comfort zone is, just, it's like so important. Yeah, I've been doing so recently. Uh, there were t there are two things that I've started to do that I'm really proud of. So one is, you know, obviously during the quarantine sort of thing, it's been hard to get to the gym, and so I bought a uh, a jump rope. And I've been doing that, which I told you about. Great rope, great, great weight. It's a great, yeah, it's an amazing way to uh, to work out. Yeah. It's a super efficient way to like torch calories, you know. Um, it's amazing for the brain. Uh, it's great, you know, it's just like for coordination, for everything. And then the second thing that I started doing, I've started taking private boxing lessons. Awesome. So I found a trainer in West Hollywood. His name is Minju. Shout out to Minju. Fight Club, I think is his, his uh, Instagram. Yeah. He's uh, this Japanese kid and he's, um, he's super just great. He's a great trainer. Does, you know, doesn't cost me an arm and a leg, but he's super skilled. And uh, it's the first time in my life I've ever been, cause I'm not, I'm not an athlete. I've always been really interested in fitness. I've always been like a weight lifter, I guess. I've always been interested in bodybuilding and stuff like that. But, uh, it's the first, first time in my life where I've ever had to kind of coordinate the, what the upper body is doing with the lower body, yeah. you know, which is what you have to do when you play sports, which I've never done. Yep. And so it's been a really amazing, um, thing to, to try to learn. And I was like the first lesson I was like really bad, but by the second lesson I was already getting better. I'm like 10 lessons in now at this point, And I feel like I, you know, like I'm, I'm getting good. I mean, I'm still mm. like still totally learning and still not, uh, you know, I mean, I'm not like my, my intent is not to, you know, become a boxer, but it's just an amazing workout. It's an, you know, again, it's amazing for the brain. It's amazing, amazing coordination. It's amazing for those dynamic full body movements. And it's just a great like confidence booster. I think it was, we, we talked about this before. I think it was like the Albert Einstein college. They did some study or research looking at, you would know this better than I would, but they did research of, uh, various different practices for, again, um, cognitive function. And it was had like 
you know, Scrabble and, you know, spelling bees or you know, they had, you know, dance and they had martial arts and they had uh, walking and, you know, all the crossword puzzling, all these different things. Uh, and what they found in that, if I remember correctly, was was that dance was the most effective, mm. actually um, staving off cognitive decline uh, because of all of that, those developmental patterns that you're forcing your body to go through. You know, so your your brain isn't, as you already know, isn't this organ that's just floating around inside of a vacuum inside of your head like your brain is your your skin and it's your you know your 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 olfactory senses and your visual senses and your audio like all like like you're this sensory organism (laughs) like that is your brain you know so if you want to work on your cognitive function get a foot massage you know or learn some salsa or you know get a a uh a dry scraper what are those called dry brush get a dry brush you know and rub your back with a dry brush you know your skin from a a embryological perspective uh it comes from the same layer the ectoderm there's there's three different layers uh comes from the same layer as your central nervous system wow so your skin and your brain and your spine (laughs) evolve from the same freaking layer you know and so it's like it's like so if you want to work on your on your brain like literally like go get a massage and that's one of the reasons that uh after you once again coming back to as you would imagine come back to sex um (laughs) after you get laid the next day you're like you know you can kind of tell if someone's been like off for a while and they come in they're all smiling they're all (laughs) lit up like whoa like what's what happened max I don't know. I just feel good. You know, it's like, oh, you got like a brain massage, but it involved your perineum and your back, <laughs> your kneecaps and your elbows and, you know, whatever. You know, and so as you're going through that and also with with, you know, stimulating your, your nervous system, like the rectum and the tongue and the throat and all these places, all those are tied into that vagus nerve. You know, so if you want to, we kind of isolate these things like, cool, I'm going to get some type of electrical machine to like stimulate my, my vagal tone. You're like, dude, you could just go, you know, dance and sing and, you know, maybe go roll around with somebody in some bushes or whatever. And like yeah. that will stimulate your freaking vagal tone. Oh my God. You know, not to mention all of the other, you know, the, the, the entourage effect in, in nutrition where you're eating you know, the entourage effect. Yeah, of course. Yeah, yeah. So the entourage effect, it's like. When you eat the whole apple, the, the all of the constituents of that apple kind of work together. Yeah. You know, so when you isolate and you're like biohacking quotations, your vagal, vagal tonicity, you know, or whatever the heck it is that you're doing, oftentimes you're missing out on that entourage effect of doing the things that your ancestors have been doing for millions of years. And now you isolate that one specific supplement form of the movement. But when you take the whole thing in, your body's like, oh, right. Yeah. Cool. We're all together in a tribal community situation and we're singing and we're drumming and, you know, now we're whatever it is that we're, you know, all the, all the things that just people do, you know, you don't, when you, when you isolate them out, um, it's, you know, it's still something, uh, but it's, you know, your body, I think doesn't really perceive it the same way as you, you eat the whole, 
metaphoric apple. Hey guys, hope you're enjoying this episode of the show with Aaron Alexander. Just want to give a shout out to the sponsor of this episode of the show, and that is Live On Labs. Live On Labs makes a number of really interesting liposomal encapsulated supplement products, including vitamin C, a B complex, glutathione, which is the body's master detoxifier and antioxidant. And what's so cool about liposomal formulations is that they outsmart your body's restrictive nutrient transport system with a better way to absorb vitamins and antioxidants. So I have uh, routinely been taking my vitamin C um, liposomes. I also will take glutathione, which can help support your body's uh, detoxification. So if you go to liveon, L-I-V-O-N, labs.com, you'll get to learn about liposomal technology um, and all of the supplements that they have to offer. I love the company. They're putting great stuff out into the world. Uh, their products are all always free of artificial flavors, no fillers, no colorants, dairy-free, sugar-free, gluten-free, non-GMO, even vegan. Um, so check them out, liveonlabs, no E, L-I-V-O-N-L-A-B-S.com. And now back to the show with Aaron. Yeah. I mean, that's why I feel like these studies on, you know, they're, they'll, they will occasionally isolate these like extracts, you know, from, from whole food sources and they'll try to bottle you know, bottle the magic of the whole food into a pill or a supplement. And, you know, I think often what they find is that the, you don't get near, you don't get a fraction of the benefit of that, that isolated extract, Mm. um, as compared to when you eat the whole food. And that's because the whole food often has all these other compounds in them that work in tandem, Mm. you know, synergistically with the extract or whatever that is. Think of, you know, back to, back to Vivian Lee. You know, when she's out. Have you recently seen the movie? Is that why it's like No, fresh just because your... I, I researched it this morning because I was excited about it. Oh, interesting. I was so enamored by that. When when uh, girl Pema mentioned, I was like, I was just, I thought that was so cool because wow. it's uh, mainly, I'll become especially attached to things if I hear about them after uh, the last book was published. And I'm like, that should have been in the book. Yeah. <laughs> I'm you probably way. get that quite a bit, right? Yeah, I take like, notes. Oh, that quote. That was, I, oh. I have a I have a running Google document of all the things that I want to talk about in my next book. That's great. Yeah. yeah. I always like I always make notes and things like that. Whether or not there is a next book coming, I'm always like, that's something that I want more people to know about. How do you determine whether you do a next book? Not whether you do, but like when when is a book a relevant thing? Because I think there's 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 different forms of book. There's like the branding book. We're like, okay, I'm going to do a book because then I have a reason to do all these podcasts and mm. media and it's going to be this boost thing and I'll make more money from it. And then there's the other one where it's like, oh, I'm, I'm, I have this child that needs to be birthed out of my body. Like yeah. It feels like it's growing. Um, I prefer to be on the side of like, it, it feels like this needs to be birthed out of me. That's the only, those are the only kinds of books that I've written. So I don't, I don't know what it's like to write a branding. Like, do you have no. any pressure of feeling the next one? Or do you feel like the next one's already, is it already in, in germination? Um, I mean, I kind of feel like what the next one, I kind of have a, a an idea of what the next one might be. Um, tell us about it. Oh man, that's for a, <laughs> that's a secret. Um, but yeah, I've been, I've been sort of gestating on, on what the next book might, uh, might look like. And it's something that, I mean, I guess the, a hint would be, it's something that people have, you know, followers have been asking me for, for, for a while. Sure. Um, but, but yeah, it's, uh, it's, um, you're all cryptic about it. I just think, I'm I just engaged. think, I just no think that like pulling me in, we were talking about like the bestseller thing. Yeah. Sorry to skirt the uh, the issue of the next book and change the subject, but it's like <laughs> when we're when we're talking about the bestseller thing, it's like 
one of the things that I felt, the reason why it was so spiritually validating for me was the fact that I really wrote the book because I felt like it, you know, something like it hadn't existed, you know, didn't yet exist. It needed to be written and I was the right person to write it. And it was not about, it wasn't about like birthing a business for me or anything like that. You know, it wasn't about promoting a business that I already had. Like when I wrote the book, I'll tell you my, I hadn't like no income the year that I wrote Genius Foods. Hmm. I was like living off of, a fraction of the advance that I got. Um, but the rest I invested in like, you know, making the website for the book or, you know, like a little bit of like publicity help. But, uh, it was not in any way to, I mean, that, that, I think that's one of the, that is the reason why genius foods has resonated around the world is that it's not selling anything other than, you know, really useful, uh, I mean, and crucial information. Mm. Um, you know, it's, it's not like selling a, there's no like 30 day course, you know, to go deeper, you know, into the concepts in the book. So what if a, a person that feels, I'd imagine a lot of people would resonate with us of like not feeling like they have some big idea hmm. to germinate in the first place or like, I just don't, I don't know what, like, what, like, I just feel scattered. Yeah. You know, like, how do I get that, that, that big, how do I impregnate myself with something to be impassioned by? Hmm. I like the way you put that. Um, I think that because I've certainly felt that way. I mean, I felt that way for years before I knew what my, what my path was. Um, and I knew with crystalline certainty what my path was when my mom got sick and I saw just the, you know, and I experienced the the devastation that I did and the, the lack of resources available that were out there for people like me, you know, the lack of, um, insight and, uh, you know, like resources. I mean, the, before when I, when I first got started, I mean, I think that like one of the places, the first places that I went to was like the Alzheimer's association or something like that. And those are like these huge gargantuan, you know, it's like and nothing against the Alzheimer's association, but, um, essentially, you know, so, so before that, yeah, there was a period where I didn't know what my path was. And, you know, it was sort of a, I was having a bit of an existential, you know, there was a point where I was feeling very existential. Should I go back to school? You know, what, you know, what was out there for me? And I think that ultimately what you have to do is you have to trust in your talents and your abilities and you have to trust the timing of the universe and you can't force it. You know, you can't force it. Unfortunately, I mean, what, what, what helped me to realize what my mission and purpose was, was something that was very tragic, but, um, you know, I think, I think it's something that you just have to, the, the best thing that you can do in those circumstances is, is to just make sure that the surrounding condi conditions in your life are fertile so that you're open to the insight or the revelation or whatever it is once it finally is able to make its way over to you. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I wonder what you, I was, I've been thinking of this today as well, and running back to the same thing we we're talking about before, like the difference or separation or lack thereof between your, your parents and grandparents, et cetera. It feels like the death of a parent essentially is, um, it's almost just like you're, you're foregoing a, a piece of yourself. It's like a natural part of the evolution, but it's like from that perspective of, I am my mom, I am my dad, I am, you know, all of that. Uh, I think it's almost a beautiful thing in a way. Like a, like a snake shedding its skin, hmm. you know, could you imagine if a snake had this relationship with it, its skin where it's like, I'll never let go. <laughs> <laughs> like, yeah. is that a, is that an offensive analogy for, for, to relate death of, 
of a parent as being, um, you know, that's, it's just, I'm just a continuation of them. Yeah. Like I am them and them going back into the ground and recirculating into something beautiful. They become a tree and a flower and maybe a reincarnated something depending upon your belief system. Yeah. Um, but we've, we've talked about this before, but I almost think that I wonder if we've, we've kind of got a, a rough shake in Western culture with our perception of transitioning out of the body. You know, so it, it could be, it could be a lot of things based off of our, our story of perception of it. You know, it could be, oh, they're, if a, you know, in India, if a person dies early, if they get, you know, hit by a bus on a scooter or something like that, it's like, oh, he like graduated this corporeal form. Like, mm. wow, like, cool. Like he made it. He didn't need to go through all these reps and do his taxes and <laughs> shave his armpits or whatever he's doing. You know, he's just like, he's, he's out of here. He graduated. So if we had that perception of what it was to transition out of, out of this, um, I feel like it just as easily could be like something celebratory. Um, but I, th I feel like death, I'm getting this from, from, uh, Ram I got kind of like a man crush on, um, rest in peace, Ram Dass. Um, but he's, he said that, that death in Western culture is kind of in, in the closet still, hmm. you know, it's like, it's, it's this weird subject where if you go to a lot of Latin American countries or maybe like Muslim countries or India or any of these, these, these places where, uh, it's much more common for elderly and parents and all that stuff to like. And, and kids to all live in the same place. And so as a child, you're exposed to death. Whereas in Western culture, it's kind of this, this weird, almost like for me, it almost feels like this like taboo. We don't want to think about it. Don't want to talk about it, which eventually may lead to some type of like friction with the relationship. Yeah. There's an amazing Ram Dass quote. It's uh, maybe you, you know, it, verbatim I, I mean i can only paraphrase but it's something like at the end of the day we're all just walking each other home totally is that the is that the line that's is exactly that ram yeah. das yeah i think that's 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 rami oh dude i love it <laughs> i mean it it does provide some comfort you know i mean certainly like it doesn't it doesn't take away the visceral feeling of losing somebody and feeling like those molecular bonds you know the strongest bonds that we that we have within us are just being like torn apart did we ever lose them is it possible to lose somebody i mean or do we just potentially transition away from a you know a story of a, of a person but like the you can't create or destroy matter you know you can only kind of kind of shift it around yeah it's like is it possible to i mean i don't, I don't well i can i can agree with that if i like step to the side and i look at the event of losing my mom mm -hmm. from like a different light you know, but that's not like that vantage point is not like where I live, you know, where I live is like, you know, I think often about how much I miss my mom and, you know, that it was just so sad what happened to her and so unfortunate and such poor luck and, you know, like just all the conditions, you know, I, I start to think about what I could have, is there anything else that I could have done? But, um, but yeah, I mean, I, I want to think about it as just being this, you know, like her energy has somehow, you know, just suffused the universe. Slash you. Or me. You I mean, are your mom. Well, man. I feel that. You didn't lose your mom. No, I, f I feel you that. You are like, she's here. I'm talking to her. I feel that, but I don't feel that. I feel it and I don't, you know, like I, yes, I agree, but I also like, you know, I think it's, it's also normal, like, or not normal, but I think it's also healthy to kind of like also be able to 
to hold both of those ideas in your head at the same time that yes, she's me and I'm carrying forth her torch, but then, but then also that I just wish things were different Mm. or, you know, that I wish things had been different. How could they have been different? I don't know. (laughs) Oh man. It was just like, I, I can't believe that she's not here. I can't believe that, you know, that these, there are these new, like that there's all these different chapters of my life that have, you know, like been written since her and will be written you know, be, and will be written in the future and that I can't tell her about them and see the, the smile on her face, you know? Um, yeah, it's just, uh, it's, it's, I, I was in New York recently. The last time I was able to, tra- well, not recently, you know, pre COVID the last time I traveled, I went to New York and, uh, I was doing press for the new book. And I just remember being so upset because, you know, New York is where I'm from. My mom lived in New York her whole life. I was, I was just so upset that my mom couldn't like see the the new book and, and, you know, that I couldn't see the joy in her face that I was like doing all this press and, you know, putting on the TV for her so that she could watch me on TV, which she was, you know, she was always so proud of me whenever I was on TV. And I remember I saw, I was walking one day, it was just after I had like taped the Rachel Ray show. So I was on this like this high because I I did really well. And I was walking on the street and this really old, decrepit woman, possibly homeless, walked by me and she was carrying a black plastic garbage bag behind her, dragging it on the street. And she looked so frail and so decrepit and she instantly even though we were walking the opposite direction she, she instantly reminded me of my of my mom mm. you know in those moments you know somebody just so so helpless and beaten down and frail by what I don't I knew nothing about this woman's circumstances but I walked by and I was like oh man I have to I've got to go do something I mean she, she moved me you know in that moment and so I went I turned around I walked I walked for maybe 20 more seconds and I was like Matt you get you got to turn around I turned around I asked her if I could help her bring the, bring her bag. You know, she was dragging it like on the floor. It was like on the, on the sidewalk in New York city. And I was like, I asked her if I could help her bring it somewhere. And I knew, you know, in the moment I was like, um, you know, what am I doing? Who knows where she needs to be with this thing? But she said, no, 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 thank you. It seemed like she was like, kind of like, it seemed like she was homeless. I looked at her shoes. She was wearing like flip flops or something like, you know, I don't, they, they, they didn't even match. And then I was like, all right, well, I'm going to offer her some money. So I offered her whatever I had in my wallet, I think it was like $5. And, uh, and she couldn't, she couldn't take it. Like she said something like, we're not allowed to take money on the sidewalk, which made me think maybe she's like homeless and she can get arrested or something if she takes money, you know, in that neighborhood. And it's like, all right, well, let's step into the street and I'll give you the $5. And she wouldn't take it. She said she couldn't take $5, but she could take like a dollar. And so I gave her a dollar. Yeah. It's a super, it's a, it was super strange, but it, it really upset me. And I, went to eat lunch after that. And I started bawling, like just crying my eyes out. And the whole rest of the trip was colored with that, that experience. And then just before flying back to LA, I went to my mom's grave in Queens and I just had like a complete meltdown. Like I was there for an hour and I've, n- I've never cried so much in my life. And I felt like it was the, f- it was the first time since her passing that I really got to say goodbye, like in that way. Hmm. you know oh good and it was uh isn't that interesting go on sorry i don't know i mean it was just it felt like an like an emotional sort of i don't you know 
it felt, I mean, it felt cathartic. I mean, it's not that, 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 that wasn't the last time that I thought of my mom or have wept, you know, and thinking about my mom, but mm. it's interesting how we can, we create these, if we find, um, some type of, um, if we see someone reminds us of someone close to us, or if you know, you're like a old wealthy guy and you meet some young person, it's like, you remind me of me when I was your age, mm. all of a sudden you can kind of paint them into this this totally different perception where you start to really love them and care about them. And, you know, it's, 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 it's really interesting how plastic that is our perception of each other and how we could paint somebody else into this enemy position or paint mm. somebody else into, you know, I was learning about the uh, world war two. There's this freaking amazing documentary on Netflix that I think I've already, I know that I've already told you about called world war two in color. Hmm. So good. You've been watching a lot of world war two. Loving it. Documentary. So excited about it. I am endlessly fascinated by hitler like the fact that that can exist like how do you go from being this sweet little fella that loves baseball and painting and architecture and opera and stuff uh i don't know if he loved baseball probably didn't love baseball actually <laughs> i just threw that part in there but he did like architecture went to operas a lot homeless for a while um had a hypo hypospadius wow. which is uh <laughs> <laughs> wow. Why don't, why don't you share share what that is for our, for our listeners? Hypospadius is when your urethra goes, hypo is, is down. Mm. Spadius means something probably in relation to urethra. And it goes, shoots down. Points down. Points down. Wow. And he had uh, undescended testicle, mm. all sorts of interesting stuff. One undescended or both? I don't know. Wow. <laughs> wow. <laughs> This is, this is interesting. <laughs> Freaking interesting. Um, and so to go from that, to go from that point of being this little fella who's really, once again, back to sexuality, he's really weird around sexuality. Um, he wasn't, which I think is another big thing in part why I'm enamored by sexuality is I think, cause it's another one of those things that's like in the closet, death is in the closet. I think sexuality as a whole is one of those things. It's like, Oh God, like we just, if that happens and, and there's a, a child around and a, a tit comes out or something like that, it's like, oh, yeah, you're like, what? Like, who? You know, that's like that's your life force. Like, that's where you come from. <laughs> right. Um, anyways, so I'm very free the nipple, free the nipple, man. Yeah. Free it up. Let it go. I agree. Love all the parts. But um, so anyways, just how a person gets to be that point with Hitler is very interesting to me. So I'm getting into it. Um, but the way that we paint different people. You know, and that's what we did as Americans with the Japanese during World War II, during the 40s. Um, you know, we painted them as being, you know, they had like these big teeth and they were like these kind of like rat animal creatures. Uh, same thing that the Nazis did with, with Jews. Mm. You know, you paint these perceptions of people, which is just a story. It's no more real or less real or anything than anything. It's literally a tale. Mm. You know, and you paint that tale and layer upon layer becomes realer and realer and realer. And then eventually that becomes your reality to the point that you're fine exterminating that rat. Hmm. You know, and then you see another person where you literally just went from just the way if you uh, there was one time I had a rat in my in my kitchen and it got like stuck. It's still like I have like PTSD from <laughs> He got like somehow, oh, I had a little snapper thing. I apologize for people that are like vegetarian um, or just don't want to snap rats. It was a bummer. I, I'm, I'm actually literally yeah. like feel shocked by it. Those things are pretty brutal. It's not least. okay. It's yeah. not okay. So anyway, but it was like a big guy. 
And so it got snapped and then it got like concussed. People may cover their ears for this for the next like 27 (laughs) seconds. Um, So it got concussed and then it got stuck underneath like my grate thing, uh, you know, and then in the the oven. And then I like I'm like, oh, like whacking it because I don't want to suffer, you know. But anyway, so that my perception of that rat is, okay. it's just a vermin. Yeah, I can exterminate that. That's that's in the okay pile to destroy with my hands. And then I can go to the very next moment and go feed my puppy, mm. you know, and then pet my cat and then massage my girlfriend and then shake my buddy's hand and I'll uh, be like an upstanding citizen. Mm. But we have all of these catalog stories of each individual being and like, you know, the value of their life. And uh, what I was thinking as you were speaking was just how interesting that would be if somehow I mean, maybe the answer is like ayahuasca or psilocybin or something like like that, but um, or meditation or near death experiences or, you know, all sorts of different things. Breath work. Uh, we could start to hack people's minds into a place where they perceive a wider uh, bandwidth, a wider strip of the world as being, oh, you're my mom. Oh, you remind me of me. Hmm. You know, and you start to move through the world and like every freaking person, every homeless person I see, Trump. Hitler, you know, my brother, my mom, random guy playing tennis, all of them. It's like, oh, wow, you're like, you're like me. You're like my brother. You're like my dad. You're like my mom. Hmm. You know, but the the journey to hacking that story is like, it's very interesting. Yeah. I I feel like that's where we're seeing all this progress with uh, psilocybin, MDMA, and the treatment of PTSD. Um, Probably, you know, in no small part because it can, I feel like, encourage those feelings of oneness. Totally. You know, which they've talked about at, uh, Michael Pollan's written about it at Imperial College in London. They're talking about it. Yeah. Um, well, the root of everything is oneness. Yeah. All the new age, hippie, annoying, patch pant, dready kind of stuff that you're like, okay, please shut up. Like the root of most of that stuff, like one love, Bob Marley, it's legit. Yeah. You know, if you wind it back enough, like, oh yeah, Gaia. Like that makes a ton of sense. I also think it's important to also, I mean, that that's why it's so important to be, you know, uh, just, uh, you know, more conscientious with like how you use language, you know, like it's, it's the reason why calling things, you know, I mean, as a kid, people, we used to call things gay, you know, if we didn't like, Mm -hmm. you know, if we thought that they were lame, which is so screwed up, you know, because it paints gay people as being, you know, it paints people who identify with that word as being somehow inferior, you know, the same thing with the word retarded. My mom was always, uh, I mean, my, there were so many amazing things that my mom, she was, she was such a beautiful spirit, but she, you know, one of the things she would never like when the word pig was thrown around, you know, like, oh, that person's such a pig. Cause it actually paints the animals mm. as being, you know, less than or something. My mom was a big animal animal advocate. You know, she loved animals, so she was like, "Why why are we going to call something a pig if it's not if it has some traits that aren't desirable?" You know, don't yep. use don't use that language. Hmm. Um, but I think it's more like words, in my opinion, do not have as much power as what we grant them, and they do at the same time. The power comes from the in, the intention, the intonation, like what you're putting into hmm. the word. You know, so if you're hanging out with some people and they're like, like I grew up flinging gay around all the time, you know, and like my intention was never to put down or belittle 
people that are you know attracted to the same sex. Um, you know, so the, I, I think the in, intention is vastly different. You know, so there there are some words like the F word, F A G. I don't like saying that one because that one's like an extra charge one. Yeah. Um, but that one's like, uh, you know, the, the meaning of that is a bundle of sticks. Like a faggot is a bundle of sticks meant for burning. Hmm. <laughs> so like that, like the depths of the, the the origin story of that word is just like, it's pretty polluted all the way up. Yeah. You know, whereas a word like gay, the origin of that is like, oh, to be, to be merry, hmm. to be happy, to be happy. You know, so I think that like the, the intention, if you say like when something's like, oh, that's kind of gay, you know, it's like in my perception growing up in Pennsylvania and like the East Coast and all that stuff and having that word like drilled into me, my sense of that had nothing at all to do with human beings. Yeah. It was literally it's just like, oh, it's like it's a little fruity. Well, th- <laughs> and, and, you know, it's, like, yeah. it's, little, it's all right. I got nothing wrong with that. No, <laughs> things, can, things can be gay. <laughs> And that doesn't, that's not a judgment call. No judgment call. Christmas is pretty gay. Pretty gay. Pretty gay. (laughs) Oh, man. Did we leave my audience with anything actionable? We're not done. Over the past hour? We're wrapping this thing up. We don't have to wrap it up. We can keep going. We got to talk about Vivian Ann. Who's that? Uh, The uh, Gone with the Wind Girl. Oh, the Gone with the Wind Girl. Yeah. Oh, you said it in a way that I feel like it was... Vivian Ann, yeah. Yeah. We talked about her. You were just like, we've got to talk about Vivian as if we hadn't already talked about her. When you talk, what, what else is there to say? Well, there's different layers to it. So there's, oh. so we'll, so we'll, uh, we can wrap this thing up. But the, uh, coming back to that point, because there was more things that I was excited about saying with that, um, the entourage effect of the experience of uh, the mother and the parents and all that stuff going outside uh, and doing the fitness and doing, you know, being out there. There's a lot of other different interesting layers to that experience of doing the fitness, doing the walk, and being outside, um, such as, you know, as you're outside, all stuff that you've already talked about, like probably ad nauseum at this point, you know, you're breathing in the fight insides and all the different chemicals that boost your immune system and do all that stuff to like make you feel good, mm. you know, increasing your dopamine and all that stuff, just like by being outside or even a, a, uh, a patient in the hospital, if they have access to a window, I know you've heard this one as well, it decreases the necessity of pain medications. So if you're laying down and the other thing that decreases necessity of pain medication is choice. So if you have the choice of how much you're going to use, then typically you'll end up using less hmm. because your story um, is that I am empowered. Hmm. You know, so if you with your eyes, you can look out. It feeds once again back into that story of like, I'm not a sick, imprisoned patient. You know, my that, what I'm consuming with my eyes is literally it's it's sending me this information of like oh wow like I'm free hmm. you know and so if we can start to to once again hack those stories I'm kind of like conflating the idea of the you know our perception of each other and the and the Vivian and stuff um, but we're just we're always being tuned by our environment yeah you know and that gets back into the epigenetic stuff you know so our literal physical environment. You know, it, it affects us, whether it's, it's light exposure, whether it's breathing the chemicals from the plants and whatnot, um, whether it's being around certain people that are maybe making certain facial expressions that cause us to feel a certain way because we're continually attuning to each other's facial expressions. So when you like walk into a room and the room 
makes you feel away. Hmm. You know what I'm talking about? Mm-hmm. And you go in, you're like, like what the vibe? <laughs> like you go into certain rooms and like you immediately have this sensation of like, okay, I feel away. <laughs> you know, it's like it's like I feel in like my stomach. I feel like I, feel, I don't think I should be here. Hmm. You know, or like ah, oh, it feels welcoming. Like ah, oh, this room like pulled me in. You know, and so when you go into that room, there's all sorts of you know, like Rupert Sheldrake is an interesting resource if people want to go kind of more off the deep end hmm. of of what the hell is going on with that. It's called Morphic Resonance. Morphic Resonance? Morphic Resonance, hmm. yeah. Rupert Sheldrake, he's like one of the main expert guys. I've been going back and forth with him via email to have him on my podcast, actually. Cool. Um, you know who else I'm having on next week is uh, Bruce Lipton, biology belief guy. Oh, wow. Do you know who he is? Uh, no. What? Wait, maybe. Biology, I believe that was like the first book that I read. I'm thinking James Lipton inside the actor's studio. <laughs> no, I don't know. Bruce Lipton. <laughs> Bruce Lipton. Yeah. Bruce Lipton. No. Bruce Lipton, you're listening. You changed my life. Seriously? Oh, yeah. Wow. yeah his, his book, Biology, I believe. Highly recommend it. Biology I'm listening to the audiobook right now because huh. I got an interview with him coming up in like on the 14th. Dope. Santa Cruz. Wow. I'll uh, check him out. He's great. Yeah. Hmm. Um, but uh, yeah, a, a big chunk of the whole biology of belief essentially is that our our perception of the world around us, it literally has a, you know, a, a mechanical response to the way that our, our cells produce themselves. You know, and so your DNA, you know, a la like the, the human genome project thing where they're going through and sequencing all the all the genes and they figure because there's you know hundreds of thousands of proteins there must be so many genes you're like oh my god there's twenty five thousand genes or something like that you know it's like oh, okay so each of these genes apparently what i read in in, in bruce's book recently um each of those genes has the potential to produce uh upwards of of two thousand different proteins wow based off of you know the 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 your the story of the way that you perceive that world. So if you can move through the world in such a way that you perceive things from that loving lens, you know where you you walk in, you see like oh wow, like man, I like I see myself in you. You know, not in a homoerotic way. Back to that stuff, uh, but I see like wow, like, like you like remind me of of myself when I was your age or whatever. I'm like oh, you remind me of this person, that, and you have that open loving perception of each other. It, it literally at a, a cellular level changes the way that you produce yourself. Hmm. So all of a sudden you start having this, you know, release, release of, you know, oxytocins and, you know, the, the, the whole cocktail of neurochemistry starts fluctuating and the hormones surging through your blood just based off of that instance of something transitioning your perceived story of the world. Pretty amazing. Fucking crazy. Yeah. <laughs> Pretty. So how do we hack that stuff? That's my question. I think we just need to be better curators of what we allow to, you know, what of our environment ultimately. Mm. And probably seeking out, because it does feel like we're wrapping up. Um, the thing we kind of talked about in the beginning was, was seeking out things that are challenging to love. And so if you're only putting yourself in the, the park of the things that I already acknowledge as being like a part of me, hmm. you're like, okay, cool. Like elementary school. Yeah. You've got it. That, that puppy easy to love. Fine. You know, maybe get a pet rat, hmm. you know, be able to like, see like, oh, well, like I can see my puppy in that rat. Yeah. You know, or find some, I don't know. You know how whatever. does that, how does that apply to the relationships that we have with people? Should we be in relationships with people that are tough to love? 
Yeah, I think so. Huh. But it doesn't mean you need to like bring the rat home. You know, you can be at the grocery store and find that person that is, you know, whatever. They're shaking their fists and yelling at somebody and angry. And you can see their blood's pumping and their little heart's pumping. And they're like, ah, they're like full stress response. Hmm. You know, and the likely direction would be like, wow, that's crazy, bitch. You know, or, you know, guy or girl like that. Like, whoa. Um, that would be the easy thing. Write that person off, you know, and be like, wash my hands of it. Cool. I'm going to go back to my pen that I'm comfortable with. These are the people that are easy to love. My group of 10 people that I think are cool. Hmm. I'll just stay right there. You know, but in that moment you went out and you had, you know, like a master class of being able to, uh, almost like it was like a, like an MMA fight. Like, Ooh, like, Ooh, man, that was like a, like a master level contender, you know, where it's like, how can I find some, how can I find the, the, the root of something more loving in that person that seems like a, you know, like a B-I-T-C-H. Hmm. I don't know why I spelled that. We can say bitch on here. Yeah, totally. Female dog. It's all about my, my, my uh, attention. I like it. Um, wise words. Oh, whatever. Love having you here. <laughs> <laughs> this has been, this has been really fun. Um, and also the, today's the day after your birthday. Woo. So happy birthday again. Double happy birthday. Um, although by the time this airs, your birthday will be. have passed by won't be anymore. sometime. Um, but appreciate you. Appreciate you. Um, where can listeners find you on social media and where can they pick up your book? Well, the book, you know, the Align Method, Amazon, that's where people buy books. Yeah. I say go to the store, but I don't, I don't even bookstores exist anymore. Uh, they're oh, hanging man. on. Are they're, they hanging well, on? Well, some, a few. Holy crap. It's, it's hard though. It's a tough i mean that tough time may, to be that maybe is a part of the transitions it's like a death hmm. like we're experiencing i know we need to do you have like a time that you've like hard out i'm gonna keep on talking about shit and you're like aaron i really need to go uh i don't have a hard out all but right. all right hold on this is the last thing okay okay um producer max is probably bummed as well he's like son of i was almost, producer I, max i was almost out of here <laughs> i was walking out the door um do you know the uh kubler-ross stages of grief I have the book downstairs. Okay. Um, I forget them, but like, I, I don't know them off the top well, of my head. Why? Um, I, I've just found an interesting overlay of those stages of grief in the way that culture has been responding to like everything. Hmm. You know, so I, I don't think I'm going to remember right now and either actually. So there's five. The first one is denial. I know is that's that one of them. I think the first one's denial. I think you, you hear it and you're just like, Oh, like you're numb. Mm. You're like, oh, okay, nothing happened. It's fine. Nothing really happened. Um, and then I think that turns into anger. You say, Oh, like, fuck, why did that? Why do they go? Why? Why me? Um, and then it goes into, I might be mixing these guys up, but it goes into like depression and then it goes into these various different stages. Eventually comes into acceptance. And that's when you like move on. And I, I feel as though culturally, it's an interesting, if you, if you take the 30,000 foot view of what's happening in the world and in, in, in almost anything, but especially with like the, the global crises, um, you can kind of see these different stages of the way that humanity as like a single organism is responding to everything, you know, and it, it was a fascinating thing to, to watch the, the riots and all that stuff. Cause it seemed to me like, uh, we're going through some type of loss. You know, and a, and a very obvious loss would be like, okay, we will lost George Floyd. You know, we lost these like obvious human beings, you know, but then perhaps another loss could be an old way of life. 
You know, so we're, we're like, oh man, there was a time where, do you remember bookstores? Mm. It's like, yeah, no, they can't cut it anymore. You remember gyms? No, it's not really a good model when you got to go in, it's closed half the day and you got to wear little rubber latex gloves and yeah. like a face mask while you're on a treadmill. It's like, whoa. So now it's like, yeah, yeah, the internet. So it's almost, it feels to me almost like, and maybe things will all go back to the way that they were in a year or whatever. I don't know, but it feels to me almost as though there is, there would be some type of natural grieving process that would manifest as a product of us transitioning out of uh, like a previous cultural belief in a way. It's so hard to let go <laughs> of those things <laughs> and just to let go of, you know, to let go of any, just to let go. You gotta let go, man. You gotta oh, let go man. to let in. That's why I always say, you know, it's important to support bookstores. You know, if you if you have the option to go out and, you know, buy Aaron's book, you know, do it, get it from your local bookstore. Because there, I mean, yeah, I mean, you're right. And you'll if you do get it, you'll see me as a, I like that precocious, adolescent, roidal female on the cover. <laughs> Damn, dude. <laughs> yeah, it is a great photo of you. I had, I don't remember the I last time. I look like I'm 13. You do, yeah. <laughs> but it helps sell the book, I'm sure. The ladies want to get their hands on that. The ladies and the fellas. I got to have you back on my podcast. The fellas want to be with you. The, the fellas want to be you. The ladies want to be with you. And some fellas want to be with you too. Tupac uh, has a line like that, but it's too vulgar for the genius life. Does Tup he? You know Tupac line? I love Tupac. I don't know the line. Dude, he was a smart fella he was a savage yeah i went through moments of uh watching a, a, like a whole slew of his interviews he seemed kind of uh flamboyant hmm. as a kid interesting look i'll show you i'll show you an interview with him specifically of where he was uh, i think he was like 17 or something like that for some reason he must have been good at rapping at that point or something I don't, I don't actually know why he was being interviewed i don't know what point he like came up or whatever um but it was like high school or something and he had very, he was like, um, very like empathetic and very like nurturing and very like feminine and his gesticulations with his hands and everything. It was like, it was like, I kind of think that Tupac might've been bisexual. Interesting. Never heard that. I probably total bullshit, but I wonder if perhaps if that story was something, um, I mean, I think a lot of men are bisexual. They just don't, again, the cultural narrative is that that's not okay. Yeah. You, know, you grow up calling each other fags and gay and all that stuff. You're like, okay, like, mm -mm, like mm -hmm. not here, especially Latin America, it's even worse. Um, but then you go into like Roman times and it was, do we already talk about this? No, I think maybe uh, Roman times, it was, it was much more common yeah. for, you know, it was like a, for a young boy, apparently to, uh, sleep with an old dude. That would be like like a, like a warrior. That would be like gathering warrior energy from the guy. Yeah, and that was like a very common thing. Yeah, or like a mentor, a teacher, yeah. like the philosophers, like the, used to do that. They used to sleep with their their pupils, right? And they felt that that sexually, you know, that that like intercourse was a way to to basically pass your knowledge onto or into yeah. your your student. There's a term for that. I don't remember what it is. We mm. need, we need, we need Mr. Producer Max to give us the term. It's called, I'm not going to remember what it's called, but we can look it up. There, there's a term for um, when a female sleeps with a male and the male ejaculates into the female, a part of their DNA gets, yeah, it stays, it stays. Mm. And so, and this is a very common belief in various cultures all around the world still today that the 
child that is bared from that woman isn't just the the child of like the last you know the guy that the the sperm actually made the race to the egg and all that stuff it's actually the the aggregate of all of the men that she's she's been with wow and the potential reality i think they did this with like mosquitoes or something like that i don't think they've proven it with humans but the potential is that that is actually true and so when you are sleeping with a person it's actually a a, a pretty big deal you know and so a, a kind of rule that i have um, now i'm much better at, at, at standing by it than i have been in the past um, but unless i want to be that person be a part of that person and have that person be a part of me, um, then I'm like, I don't think I want to really wow. do that. Wow. <laughs> Which is why alcohol is so interesting. All of a sudden, alcohol comes into the equation, and that like that bar goes... Doo, 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 doo. Yeah, we were talking about this last night. Yeah, I'm I, not down with that. Yeah. If, I, it, if we're not sober, or if we're just not on alcohol, the girl on alcohol for me is like a, it's a deal breaker. Yeah, I found it very difficult to, because I don't, I mean, I drink sometimes. I'm not dogmatic about it. You know, I'll drink red wine. I'll, yeah, I'm a, I like sake, you know, good sake, whatever. Mm -hmm. But um, but I used to drink like on dates exclusively. And I found that it made it a lot easier to be into somebody that you weren't really all that into. Yeah. And so now I think it's a much, it's much better to try to assess whether or not you're into a person yeah. through sober eyes. Well, think if your world, you've kind of been almost like artificially in present imprisoned there's a, a term uh, learned helplessness do you know this term mm -hmm. learned helplessness is they, they've done studies with like dogs and such where they would put them on do you know about these things they'd like shock the dog's little feet and then they would so they'd, they'd give the dogs the option one group of dogs and they shock their feet they're all bummed out they're, they're like oh like this sucks uh and then they give one group of dogs the option to be like okay press this button and th the buzzer goes off you don't get shocked anymore and those dogs like, oh, they press the button. Oh, cool. it's all good. It's all good. It's all good. You know, and then the other ones, they uh, keep shocking. They don't give them a potential to to turn it off. And then they go to a point where eventually they kind of collapse and they're just like, oh, okay, I'll just sit into the shock. And then when they're presented the option to unshock themselves, they're over it. You know, and so I think that they're, they're over in the sense that they don't do it. They're like, wow. oh, I'm just, wow. fuck. They just, I'm, just, I'm just in it. They just grin and bear it. <sighs> wow. You know, and so the, uh, I think a lot of people in, in like mediocre in quotations, Western world, they've kind of almost like learned helplessness themselves into a position where, um, and I, I feel like I've experienced this before, like even in my own life, just like, just things just feel gray. You know, just mundane, you know, and I think that when you're in that that place, um, I think alcohol can be a really helpful way to all of a sudden paint that situation. It's like, this is actually pretty cool, you know, and the, the bar drops and then you can become addicted to that sensation hmm. of you dropping your, dropping the bar. your sensitivity to hmm. the environment. And that's why, you, you know, you go to some shitty dive bar and you can't hear what anybody's saying and someone just threw up on your shirt Whoa. and you're like... This is kind of cool. <laughs> she's hot. Yeah, not cool at all. And she's actually, <laughs> yeah. you know, but you drop that bar down um, and, you know, it can be a helpful tool in this, in those situations. But I think it's another route is, okay, I would like to think this situation is rad without any form of inebriation. 
And then from there, once once reality passes that test, then it's like, okay, now we can like titrate some whatever it is that you'd like to involve in the situation. But ideally, you're not incorporating this substance into the reality because the reality that you actually have created, the story that you've woven for yourself isn't adequate. Right. And so now we're like, okay, we'll bring the substance in, lower the bar. Now all of a sudden this is fine. Right. <laughs> Make sure it's epic first. Epic first. Yeah. Assess then do first. As you, then do as you wish. Then do it. And that's 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 exactly how I treat alcohol these days. That's great. Yeah. I'll never drink, you know, unless I'm like consenting to the experience after I've already determined that the environment you know, deserves that extra addition, you know, that extra punctuation, yeah. that extra exclamation point, if Punctuate you will. that stuff. And watch out for people that are dogmatically against drugs and alcohol and all that stuff. Watch out for them. Yeah, I think so. Be flexible. Yeah. They're all tools. Yeah. Well, I agree with that. Yeah. MDMA, well, you know, psilocybin, like all, it's like they've been put into a, a taboo section of culture um, in large part for people, political agendas and financial agendas and like the whole war on drugs was, from my understanding of it, was a la Nixon wanting to uh, have a reason to imprison black people and hippies because they would be voting against him. So like, okay, like what are they doing? Like they're, they're not really like, I got to get them out of culture. Wow. How do I get them out of culture? It's like, well, they like heroin. These guys love weed. Like they're in this like psychedelic stuff. Okay, well, that's illegal. You take that whole demographic of people out of the equation, and now you launch this massive, you know, billion, probably trillion, I don't know how much money, a lot of money, war on your own people Hmm. as a means of pushing your own political agendas. And now that story gets ingrained into culture, and then you see things like Reefer Madness. Have you seen Reefer Madness? No. Oh, gotta watch Reefer Madness. Netflix? Ridiculous. I don't know, YouTube probably. So Reefer Madness um, is about, it's it's like full on just like governmental propaganda piece on the, the dangers of marijuana. Wow. You know, and so marijuana, originally cannabis, marijuana is, you know, a little bit more of a dangerous name. It's like, oh, marijuana, it's like from Mexico it's and there's like yeah. these dangerous people and they're coming here to like rape our women and steal and all this stuff. Um, you know, but cannabis, like a good chunk of our, of the United States history is based off of the crop of cannabis and hemp. You know, and so that got transitioned again for political agendas. And then that story gets baked into your reality. And now we have this experience with something as, as benign as, and, and, and supportive and helpful as something like can, cannabis. Um, you know, and even just, you, you talk about, it, you're like, can I talk about this on a podcast? And that's all just, a process of rewiring rewiring our story to be like more honest with like okay like what is this this is a this is a tool you know this isn't just bad good moralistic hmm. it's like okay this is a tool here's the values okay glaucoma okay uh, eating disorders okay like all of these different things anxiety you know pain okay that's the tool you know or you can live in a culture where it's just like binary black white bad good yeah. You do that. You put your blinders on, but jail done, you know, blinders on. Don't do that. Cool. You're good. You're in the, you're on the team. Awful. Yeah. I'd much rather the former where we can have like a nuanced conversation. Everything is nuanced. Yeah. Everything. 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 It's so important. Especially today. I feel like we live in, I mean, if nothing else, it's an era of like black and white thinking and, you know, is that a pun? Uh, no, not a pun, but 
I mean, yeah, it, it unfortunately, you know, it's that crazy. Yeah. But like cancel culture and, um, you know, just everybody's so inflamed. And so, uh, like everybody has such a short fuse these days. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I think, I mean, we should all be, we should all encourage nuance, you know, I think the shorter a fuse a person has, the more insecure they are in their own beliefs. Yeah, I, th I think so too. You know, it's, a, it's like if you are, if you secretly, whatever, whatever the thing is, say a person like going back to talking about the gay stuff, if a person is, is in the closet about anything, hmm. you know, gay is just a, a very, you know, it's a common one. Um, that person will be more likely to defend. You know, like, oh, I'm like, oh, 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 no, keep them away from me. Oh. You know, you like, you see it, you're like ready to defend, but a person that's actually truly comfortable in their own skin and in their belief systems and their ideologies and just the way that like they sit in the world, they don't have a, a, a big reason to, to put up these vast defenses on everything. Yeah. So you can almost, I think it's an interesting way. Again, this is kind of like a way to like find the love in people, the person that, that presents with the biggest guns and the biggest muscle sometimes and you know that is the most is the aggressor oftentimes are the person that's that's actually hurting the most hmm. yeah i agree i think it's also a testament to you know meditation and what that can do for you or at least the understanding that meditation kind of helps create a little bit of a buffer like a, a little bit of a space between you know the stimulus and the response totally i feel like today exactly. for so many people there's there is no space you know it's like literally like reactionary it's you know we're so reactionary it's a problem i was in a like a long term on and off relationship with somebody who i cared about very much but because of trauma in her life she was just always she was so reactive you know she just there was, she had no space to like think about things before like reacting in a way that was like instinctual, like a cat, you know, that's been yeah. You become framed. you become like a pinball machine, but yeah. instead of the player, you're the pinball. And so you're just like tung, 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 it's exhausting. Tung, tung. It's got to be exhausting. like that's your life. It's just slapped to each different paddle, and you're like, oh god, here we are again, you know. And then there's like the other perspective of being able to sit with it and be like, I am in a goddamn pinball machine. <laughs> 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 you come back like, all right, I'm going to start playing this thing. The pinball machine doesn't disappear, but you come out of it. Right. Yeah. And you take the controls. Mm. And you're like, this is all a big fucking game. It's all a big game. <laughs> Watch out, because that could lead to nihilistic apathy. Oh, man. Coming to you from Aaron Alexander. Oh, man. Dude, well, thank you for being here. This was so fun. To all you guys out there in podcast land, thank you for tuning in. Text me. Let me know what you thought about this episode of the show. 310-299-9401. Grab Aaron's new book, mm. The Align Method. It's a great book. And we'll get you back on uh, The Align Podcast. Sounds good. Sounds I'm good. Looking forward to these, Looking, looking these forward moments. to that. Catch you guys on the next episode. Peace. Peace out.